0: Welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Letitia Gonzalez, Senior Editor of Markets at Natural Gas Intelligence, coming to you from Houston. I'm being joined today by my colleague, Associate Editor Andrew Baker, who is sitting in Minneapolis. For today's episode of Hub & Flow, we're going to talk about the wave of initiatives by energy companies, cities, and states across the United States that are targeting net zero carbon emissions. We'll also discuss the messages by our 2020 presidential candidates and what their presidency could mean for the country going forward. Now, climate goals are nothing new. Big energy companies like BP and Royal Dutch Shell, they've long made clear their ambitions in reducing their carbon footprint. But what's been fascinating to see is that despite the chaos and the uncertainty that we're currently facing amid the COVID-19 pandemic, These energy heavyweights have kept their foot on the gas pedal when it comes to reaching their goals. Over the past week, Shell CEO Ben Van Bearden reiterated the company's commitment to becoming a net zero energy business by 2050. The company is now aiming to reduce the net carbon footprints for the products they sell to customers by around 65 percent by 2050. Now, that's up from their previous goal of 50 percent. Meanwhile, the company is also teaming up with another Dutch natural gas company to look into building a massive green hydrogen plant in the northern Netherlands, and that would be fueled by a wind farm off the coast of Groningen. In a speech recorded from his home, Van Buurden said, this is a key moment for us to all pull together to make sure that as the world emerges from this unprecedented crisis, we all make the right choices for a better world. And the CEO isn't alone. BP's top chief, Bernard Looney, made similar remarks earlier this month after also setting a net zero emissions goal in February. In his latest comments, Looney said that the transition from fossil fuels became clearer last year when renewables consumption hit another record. And now, in the face of the pandemic with customers changing their lifestyles, he's recognized that the combined health and economic shock from the coronavirus, quote, is bound to reshape the global economic, political, and social environment in which we all live and work, unquote. Meanwhile, Dow earlier this month said that it too is targeting carbon neutrality by 2050. Now to do this, the petrochemical company plans to enable 1 million metric tons of plastic to be collected, reused, or recycled either through direct actions on behalf of the company or through partnerships. It's also gonna have all of its products sold into packaging applications that are recyclable or reusable. And on the back end, Dow has teamed up and signed renewable power deals for its manufacturing facilities all across the world in Argentina, Brazil, Texas, and Kentucky. DTE Gas was another energy company that just this past week came out with a more aggressive push towards green energy. Back in 2018, the gas utility had announced its intention to reduce methane emissions by 80 percent. But their most recent announcement upped that goal to 100 percent, and they're going to do this with the help of their gas suppliers and their customers. Meanwhile, Green Mountain Power launched two home battery programs for the 265,000 customers that they have in Vermont. You know, and this is really just the tip of the iceberg as far as what the oil and gas industry is doing to tackle climate change, as they really are working to meet investor demands on accountability regarding climate change and sustainability efforts. But it's not just energy companies Banks are also getting in on the fight against climate change. Wells Fargo Bank said that it has structured renewable power agreements with Shell subsidiaries to secure 150,000 megawatts per year. Meanwhile, Barclays has also said that it intends to become a net zero bank by aligning its business activities with the goals and timelines of the 2015 Paris Climate Accord. Now, Andrew, as you know, President Trump withdrew the United States from the Paris Agreement in 2017, saying that it disadvantages the United States and leaves taxpayers to absorb the cost in terms of lost jobs, lower wages, shuttered factories, and diminished economic production. However, the earliest effective date of withdrawing the United States is November of this year. Now, November is also when the next presidential election rolls around. And with Joe Biden expected to accept the Democratic nomination in Milwaukee later this summer, and Trump set to accept the nomination in Jacksonville, the two are very much at odds when it comes to climate change. Andrew, can you walk us through the latest from each candidate?
1: Yeah, so you're right, Letty, and I don't know that we've ever seen two presidential candidates who are this diametrically opposed on issues of energy and the environment. And now, I think the simplest way to boil it down is that basically the Trump administration has sort of made it its priority to, to roll back and undo basically all of the uh, environmental protections that were imposed under the Obama administration, particularly the ones that uh, President Obama imposed by executive order. So we've seen a real focus on regulatory rollbacks under, under Trump. And we've seen a big focus, you know, on the, on the upstream oil and gas side from Trump's interior ministry and Bureau of Land Management. Um, we've seen a big focus from them on, on pushing to open up large swaths of public land for oil and gas drilling, particularly in Alaska and the Western lower 48. And we've seen also a big deregulatory push at the Environmental Protection Agency, with the sort of goal of fast-tracking fossil energy projects, pipelines in particular. Most recently, just in in the last week or so, we saw the publishing of a a new rulemaking at the EPA, sort of amending the the Clean Water Act in in the interest of, of, again, fast-tracking energy infrastructure projects. Now, Trump has had... Varying degrees of, of success with this deregulatory push, and we've seen and we've seen a lot of legal challenges to, to some of these initiatives. Some of the mo- you know, one of the most high-profile cases would be the, the Keystone XL crude oil pipeline. That's an ongoing legal battle there that appears likely or at least highly possible to to go to the Supreme Court, which brings me to another area in which I would argue Trump has had his biggest impact in the energy space which has been his appointments of federal judges. In the last couple of days, Trump hit the milestone of appointing his 200th federal judge, uh, which puts him second, I believe, only to Jimmy Carter in terms of the number of federal judicial appointments to be confirmed by this point in his presidency. I think it's safe to say if we're looking at a second Trump term that this deregulatory push would continue. Trump has been a major advocate of the fossil fuel industry. And so I think that's basically what we could expect from a second Trump term. As you mentioned, Biden has a, has a completely different outlook on, on energy and climate change. He has pledged to, to put the United States on a path to achieving 100 percent clean energy and net zero emissions by 2050. His energy plan includes aggressive limits on methane emissions from both new and existing oil and gas operations, he plans to reinstate and strengthen the, the fuel economy standards that were imposed under the Obama administration. He said he would permanently protect the Alaska National Wildlife Reserve. So that's an example there of public land where the Bureau of Land Management under Trump has, has been pushing to, to open larger swaths of it to, to drilling. The same applies to the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska. Joe Biden has said he would ban offshore drilling in the Arctic. He has said he would rescind the permit for the aforementioned Keystone XL pipeline. And perhaps most importantly, he would ban new oil and gas leases on public lands and public uh, offshore waters. And now to put that into context, federal lands and waters combined to account for just under one fourth of U.S. oil production last year. And when we're talking about onshore oil and gas production on public lands, this is probably most relevant for New Mexico and Wyoming and to a lesser extent, Colorado and even North Dakota as well. Biden has also pledged to to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, which we mentioned earlier, and he has said he would enact legislation in 2021, putting the United States on a, quote, irreversible path to net zero emissions by 2050. He has also pledged to accelerate the development of carbon capture utilization and storage. And this is an interesting point and I think one that will become increasingly relevant because when you, when you read the reports and projections from climate scientists and different organizations, you know, such as the International Energy Agency, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, etc., they all are very clear that if we want to have any shot of limiting man-made increase in global temperatures under two degrees Celsius, carbon capture utilization and storage will have to play a major role or at least a significant role in that. And and I would expand that to include all what they call negative emissions technology, which which basically refers to removing and or capturing carbon emissions from the atmosphere. And now what's interesting about Biden's policy or, or his energy platform is that there's still there are still some key points for which we don't know exactly where he stands. The first issue that comes to mind is the issue of hydraulic fracturing. His climate plan actually does not mention the words fracking or fracturing, and this is obviously you know a, a flashpoint and 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 an issue that the energy industry will be watching. Very closely. he In his last debate with Bernie Sanders, Biden seemed to indicate that he would support uh, banning fracking. But then he, he sort of backtracked those comments in a, in a subsequent interview. So we don't know exactly where he stands on that. But re- reading between the lines, I think that Biden and his team realized that an outright ban on drilling or on hydraulic fracturing would be legally very fraught, very tricky, and ensure to provoke an onslaught of of lawsuits. So I think they realize that a drilling ban on federal lands is much more feasible than an outright ban, including private lands, just because of the legal implications there. And beyond just fracking, we also don't know where Biden stands on the role of natural gas in the transition to a lower carbon economy. Again, that's another issue where even under the most aggressive climate action scenarios, experts overwhelmingly agree that natural gas will need to play at least some role, but the extent to which it will play that role is still very much up in the air. One issue where Biden has been clear on his energy platform related to natural gas is a goal of reducing the carbon footprint of U.S. buildings By 50% by by 2035, creating, quote, incentives for deep retrofits that combine appliance electrification, efficiency and on-site clean power generation. So in other words, we're talking about retrofitting buildings that use natural gas for heating. And, you know, as you mentioned, that's that's an issue where we've seen state and local governments starting to starting to take the lead, particularly in states like like California and New York. So that's basically where the two candidates stand at this point, and I think we still have uh, we still have a lot to learn in the in the remaining months between between now and, and November.
0: Definitely. Yeah, definitely two very different messages from the candidates and maybe even some mixed messages from each candidate. Definitely still some uncertainty there. But like you mentioned, we still have several more months before the election in November. And I guess no matter what the outcome of that election is, you know, it really has been the states and and cities across the country that have led the way when it comes to tackling climate change. You know, you mentioned California. They really were a pioneer in climate and energy policy, um, from adopting energy efficiency initiatives for building and appliances to setting the United States' first tailpipe emission standards for cars. They were also one of the first adopters of statewide renewable electricity standards, More recently, California has set a target of 40% emission reductions by 2030. And by 2045, they're aiming to achieve statewide carbon neutrality and 100% carbon emission-free electricity. They've also extended their cap-and-trade authority through 2030. But there's other states that are doing implementing initiatives as well. Nevada introduced a multi-year regulatory effort to promote more low and zero emission vehicle sales. And Texas, which is home to Houston, the energy capital of the world, they are actually very far ahead of the curve when it comes to wind generation. In New York, the state's one NYC portfolio of programs, they include implementing and planning and policy studies, legislation and investments to protect the coast there. And in Colorado, the state's Climate Action Plan aims to cut the state's greenhouse gas emissions by 26% by 2025, by 50% by 2030, and by 90% by 2050. And again, these don't include other initiatives that have been put in place across the US. They also don't include what may come down the line as companies and organizations really take this time during the COVID-19 pandemic to reevaluate their priorities and determine where exactly they fit in the climate change debate. And that's where NGI will do its part to keep you informed. At NGI, we believe that transparent markets empower businesses, communities, and economies. This podcast is a part of our efforts. For more information on any of the companies or topics we discussed here today, Please be sure to visit our website, naturalgasintel.com, which we've recently revamped with the goal to enhance your experience in reading our content. On behalf of Andrew and myself, thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow. This is Letitia Gonzalez. We wish you good health and look forward to speaking with you next time.